We're going to be in Genesis 3. Let's be preaching from today. And they're getting things worked out. So while they're getting things worked out, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Um, Father, we thank you for the, the children that you have blessed this church with over the years. And we pray for a blessing upon them, even as we think about them now, as they uh, joyfully unpack the money that's been given for the education of missionary children and so forth. Um, I thank you, Lord, for their workers, the people who work with them and teach them, their Sunday school teachers, uh, children's church workers and so forth, Kelvin and leading them up. We pray for your blessing upon their time together. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon our time together now as we study your word and as we look at that topic that is... uh, the topic that has prompted you to send your son, and as we look at the, the, the issue of sin, not a pleasant topic to look at, but, but something we need to understand, and certainly you have provided a solution for that in Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would help every heart and mind to attend to your word now as we study Genesis 3, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's see if this works. Yeah. Gravity of sin. So a Sunday school teacher had been teaching her class on Christian behavior, and she wrapped up her lesson, and she looked at one of the boys and said, Now, Billy, um, what must we do? What must we do um, before we can uh, ask, before we can expect to be forgiven for our sins? And Billy looked at her and said, Well, first we got to sin, <laughs> right? That's the first step. There's an anecdote about President Coolidge that uh, he had gone to church one Sunday and his wife was unable to attend and he came home from church and his wife said, so what was the, what was the sermon about? And uh, President Coolidge said it was, the, it was about sin. And uh, his wife said, well, what did the minister have to say about sin? And he thought a moment and he said, I think he was against it. <laughs> well, sin is the topic today. Sin is the subject of our passage today. Let me just start right here. Sin is evil. Sin is evil. It's very evil. It's harmful to your health. And it is a great affront to God. And many, many don't believe that. Many don't believe that. Sure, they'll say that some sin is evil. They'll acknowledge some sin, particularly, you know, for instance, perhaps murder. They'll say murder is wrong. Um, they'll say rape is wrong. Or they might even acknowledge a particular sin that's been done to them. And that's, that's definitely wrong and evil. But not, not all sin is evil. They might not acknowledge that. And even many Christians struggle to come to grips with how evil sin is. Of course, we know some sins are really bad, uh, but we can have a tendency, even as believers, to downplay our own vices, our own temptations. Of course, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't have done that. But it's, is, it really, is it really that bad? But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says otherwise. And one of the places where this is very clear is in Genesis chapter 3, which Pastor Ryan just read for us. So we're going to be walking through parts of Genesis chapter 3 today to talk about sin. Now look at verse 1 in, verse, in chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Um, notice here what the serpent is doing. First of all, he's exaggerating He's exaggerating what God did. Now, we haven't read chapter 2 yet, but God, in fact, had planted this garden, and he placed man in the garden. He placed Adam in the garden, and then Eve came along, and he, he, produced, he had the garden produce many kinds of fruit trees. And he had said, 
that you may eat of any fruit of any of the trees except for how many? One tree. Just one tree that they could not. They were forbidden to eat from, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the center of the garden, there was the tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's already exaggerating. You've got to really say you can't eat, any of these, eat of any of these trees. Of course they could. And second, the serpent is coming with an attitude of skepticism, an attitude of skepticism toward God. Did, did God really say that? It's the attitude behind it's the attitude behind the question that the serpent brings. In other words, I can't believe he would do that. That just that doesn't seem right to me, Eve. Does that seem right to you? Notice, in fact, the goodness of God. He had planted all these trees and then he told man, you may eat. All of these trees are for you. You may eat of any of the fruit of these trees. It's just that one. Do not eat of that. And even that was gracious on his part because he's warning them don't eat of it because on the day you eat of it you will die it's gracious for us to say to our kids don't touch the hot stove it's gracious of the lord to say don't eat of that tree it's poison (laughs) it's poison for you now what if you overheard two people talking about you what if you overheard maybe at the office or whatever you overheard two people talking about you and they're taking something that you said or something that you did and they're framing it in a way that you did not intend words that you had said that were actually meant to be good for someone's benefit and someone's good but you hear over here these two people and they're talking about what you said and they're casting it as bad they're casting it as something that is some you're some kind of mean spirited individual would you not consider that to be wrong would you not consider that to be evil and that's what is happening here in the garden That's what's happening here in the garden. Now look at verses 2 and 3. Eve responds to what the serpent says. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. That's true. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it. That's true. Or touch it. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. He said, you may not eat of the trees of the garden. But here, the woman says, we may not eat it or touch it or you will die. So most of what the woman has to say, most of what Eve has to say here is true, but she adds something that God did not say. God had said, don't eat it, and if you do, you will die, but he hadn't said, don't touch it. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on in there. I I don't know if perhaps Adam, when he was conveying the instructions to her, told her, we can't eat it or touch it. But it seems to me like that maybe the attitude of the serpent is beginning to affect the woman here. And she's saying this perhaps in an accusing sort of way. God won't let us eat it. He won't even let us touch it. Is she hinting here at stinginess on God's part? Is she hinting here at meanness on God's part? Is she starting to adapt, adopt the attitude that the serpent has suggested to her? And then look at verse 4. The serpent responds, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. You will not die. Here is the first overt contradiction of God in the Bible. And notice that the first doctrine overtly denied in Scripture is the doctrine of judgment. The teaching that there are no consequences to sin. And this is a teaching that is routinely denied. Why? Because without the judgment, there is no accountability. There is no accountability. And so people say there's no hell. There's no final judgment. You don't, in fact, reap what you sow. 
Because if you can get rid of that one teaching, then you are free to do whatever you want. Before, the serpent was asking questions and just casting doubts, you know, in a roundabout sort of way. Did God really say that? But now he is overtly contradicting the Lord. He's calling God a liar. And notice how verse 5 begins then. In fact, in fact, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, here's the truth. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God may have said this, but in fact... This is the case. God's lying about what happens when you eat the fruit. God's jealous that you will become like him. God's trying to keep you down by keeping you ignorant. And notice that the devil here makes it appear like he's on Eve's side, right? I'm on your side. I want you to know the truth. You know, I want you to know the truth about the tree here. God is the enemy. God is the one who is against you. He's causing her to doubt God's causing her to doubt God's goodness towards them. And so we learn that sin is often disbelief in God's goodness to you. Sin is often disbelief in God's goodness to you. You know, why do you, why do you sin sexually? Because in your heart of hearts, you don't believe he has your best interests in mind when he says sexual intimacy is for the marriage bed alone. He's just being prudish and arbitrary. He just wants to be a bummer in your life. He's not thinking about your needs at all. You know, why can't you enjoy that pleasure without the constriction of marriage? Sin is often disbelief in God's goodness to you. You know, thinking about disbelief in God's goodness, think about your children. If you're a good parent, they love you, right? They love you. When you come home, they want to see you. They talk with you. They want to hang out with you. And why? Because of all the things that you do for them. You feed them. You play with them. You make holidays and birthdays fun. You, 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 you create a lot of fun traditions that they look forward to. You give them medicine and band-aids. You kiss their boo-boos. You keep them safe. You teach them about life. You do everything for them. You have shown them nothing but love. But then someone comes along at some point and starts to cast doubts in their minds about your goodness to them. And they start to, that this, this friend or whoever starts to tell them that, no, your parents aren't so good. They're, they're self-interested. They're, they're just being selfish. They don't really care about you. And then, and then the child, the child starts to look at you in a different way. And they, they start to criticize you. And they start to wonder. And they start to doubt. They begin to cop attitudes, ignore you, disparage you, pretend you're not there. Now, nothing that you have done has changed but now they no longer trust you and they ignore your teaching and your traditions and your rules. Now, how, if that happened to you, how would you feel about that? Would you not feel like that was evil? That something was wrong? That something wrong had occurred? If it's wrong for us who are not perfect in love and wisdom and who are far less than God in countless ways, how much of a greater evil is it when people treat God in the same way? who has done nothing but good for them. And then verse 6, come to verse 6. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice at the beginning of the verse, all the good things that she's starting to see about the tree, all the reason that she, all the reasons that she's seen for eating the tree. She saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was pretty. 
that it was delightful to look at. And she also saw that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So this, this tree has so many wonderful qualities. Why would God keep this tree from us? Why would God keep this fruit from us? I mean, God won't even, God says it's not even an option. But as I'm looking at the tree, I'm thinking it's not, it's not an option the other way. I, I really must eat of that tree. We re- it's the right thing to do, by golly. It's the good thing to do to eat of that tree. And so she eats of it. And her husband, who was there the whole time apparently, falls in step and also eats the forbidden fruit. And then we have verse 7, which naturally follows after verse 6, right? Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. Didn't they know this before? They did. Uh, the end of Genesis chapter 2 tells us that they, they, did the, they, they knew this. They, they were aware of this, but they had nothing to hide before. They had nothing to hide before. And now they have things to hide. The world has taken on a different tint. And the change hasn't come on the outside, but it's come on the inside. But it's changed how they viewed everything else on the outside. And so they hide from themselves by means of clothing, and they will hide themselves from God among the trees in the next verse. And so we see that sin brings separation. Sin brings separation. They were, they were free and open with one another, nothing to hide. They were vulnerable with one another, but now they are hiding themselves. Sin separates. Sin separates. Relations are no long, relationships are no longer open. People are no longer as vulnerable as they, will, as, as they once were. So what about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, we don't know what the fruit is. Uh, many pictures you've seen uh, are not inspired in that it was an apple. We don't know if it was an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was, probably because it doesn't matter. The tree of the knowledge of the good and evil wasn't about the fruit. It was about the choice. It was about the choice. To choose to eat when God said not to was to choose to know evil. Indeed, it was to choose to do evil. The serpent wasn't completely wrong when he said that if they ate of the fruit, they would be like God, knowing good and evil. They did come to know evil, but not in the way they expected. They didn't come to know it in the way that God knows it. God knows good and evil. He knows it omnisciently. He knows it as one who is omniscient. He knows what is good. He, he knows what is evil. He knows it objectively. But Adam and Eve came to know it subjectively. They came to know it by participating in it. Um, they came to know it by experience, by becoming evil themselves. But they are no longer good. They are no longer good in, 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 in crossing the boundaries that God had set. Um, they now know evil, but they are no longer good. They have rebelled against the great good in the universe. Sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. When we sin, we are rebelling against God, our good God. We are rebelling against our good Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's every sin. That's every sin. The knowledge of good and evil was known by God. He knew what was good and he knew what was evil. And the arrangement was that he knew what it was and Adam and Eve would learn it from him. They would learn it from him. They were dependent upon God to know what was good and evil. But they didn't like that design. 
They wanted to know it for themselves. They wanted to make decisions for themselves based on what they knew about good and evil. And so they took of the fruit. But the original design was not for them to get it themselves, to know it themselves, but for for them to rely on God, uh, to cleave unto God, to trust God and do as he said. Notice the wording of verse 6. It says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. Remember in Genesis 1, we looked at Genesis 1 last week, that repeated line, and God saw that it was God saw that it was good, right? He saw that he created the light. He saw the light and saw that the light was good. He saw that the sun, moon, and stars were good, and on and on, seven different times. He saw that it was good. He was the evaluator of what was good. He was the judge of what was good, of what was right. But here in chapter 3, verse 6, the woman seems to be presuming upon a privilege that was God's. She saw that the tree was good. She saw that the tree was good. That's what God does. He sees what's good, and he communicates that to us. Our role is to learn from him what is good, not to be the judge ourselves. Sin is wrongly appropriating God's authority to yourself. Sin is wrongly appropriating God's authority to yourself, and that is what Eve did when she made the judgment call about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm guessing that most parents in this room have had to deal with a child who has taken on the role of being the parent, who has assumed that role of being the parent to their younger sibling or their cousin or whatever. They assume authority that is not theirs to assume. And that is what is happening at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She saw that it was good. (laughs) She thought it was good, and she was completely wrong, right? She was absolutely wrong in her evaluation and in her judgment of that. In the next several verses, we're going to see this, that not that. We're going to see this. Sin leads to other evils and further sins. Sin leads to other evils and further sins. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So one of the effects of their sin now is hiding from God. This is something they had not done before. And it implies that something evil has occurred. Verses 9 and 10. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So now they're hiding, and now also they're afraid. They're afraid of God. implies something evil has occurred. Verses 11 and 12, Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Now notice the man's confession here. He does confess, I ate, but after a long string of excuses, right? It was the woman the woman you gave me. So she's blaming, he's blaming all of a sudden the woman that he considered God's good gift in Genesis 2. Now he's blaming her as the cause of his downfall. He's also blaming God. It's the woman you gave me. So they're hiding. They're fearful. They're blame shifting, leading to all, all sorts of further uh, difficulties that weren't here in the garden before. Verse 13. The woman also confesses. So the Lord asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said... I did it. 
Nope, she said it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. So she does confess, but again, with excuses tacked on. When you confess sin to the Lord, don't don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. I mean, he knows he knows you did it. Anyway, be upfront with the fact that it was your fault. Yes, there was temptation. Yes, you might have been provoked. But in the end, you could have said no. So own that before the Lord. And when you're apologizing to others, too, don't make excuses. Just be straight out. I was wrong. That was wrong what I did. So do you see what this one sin has done? It's separated human beings from each other. There's only two humans at this point, and now there's a separation between them. They're pointing fingers at one another before God. They're covering up before one another. They're no longer vulnerable with one another. They're quick to throw one another under the bus. You know, Adam confesses it's his sin, but he says, but he's downplaying it. He's saying, really, you should be talking to the woman. I mean, she's the one that gave it to me. It was her fault. And Eve's pointing at the snake. It's his fault. So sin separated them from one another. Sin has also separated human beings from God. They're hiding from God. They don't want to be near him. In taking the fruit, they wanted to be like God. If you, in the day, you, he knows that if you take it, you will be like God. They wanted to be like God, and now they're not even with God. They're against him. All of these things point to the evil that is sin. And we haven't even considered the further consequences that are spelled out in chapter 3. Difficulty in childbirth, I will intensify your labor pains. Difficulties in marriage, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Difficulties in work, you will eat from it by means of painful labor, by the sweat of your brow. And most especially the consequence of death, you will return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. All of these consequences, especially death, point to the reality that sin is a great evil we tend to downplay the significance of sin. We downplay it. Uh, maybe not every sin, but maybe the sins in our lives we downplay. How grotesque and shocking it is to rebel against such a God as our God is. He is full of mercy and grace and love, always doing what is best for us, full of majesty and honor, also worthy of all honor and glory and worship, and yet we downplay the sin that we commit against him. For instance, some people look at the sin in the Garden of Eden and tend to think it to themselves, Ah, so they eat a piece of fruit they weren't supposed to eat. What is that really? Is that really a big deal? I mean, is that really? Is that really something to get upset about? But that is looking at that issue completely wrong. They chose to trust the word of a creature. They chose to trust the word of a creature, a lowly creature at that, over the word of the Lord who had made them, who had made the beautiful garden for them who had blessed them with a wealth of trees and fruit at their disposal. They had walked in abundance and security and peace and joy because of this God. He had shown them nothing but love. He had poured out himself for them in countless ways. And Adam and Eve went and trusted a snake that they just encountered. Someone who had done nothing for them over the word of God. If we look at it in that way, we get a little bit closer to seeing how serious their sin was. But we tend to frame all of our sins poorly. All of our sins are much graver than what we realize and are also much more deserving of far greater punishment than what we might think. 
So we could make this further point. Sinning desensitizes you to the wickedness of sin. Continual sinning desensitizes you to the wickedness of sin. Sinners tend to protect themselves, tend to soften the blow of what they have done, tend to be self-justifying. What happens here in Genesis 3 is referred to uh, as the fall. The first sin of the first humans cast the whole human race into sin, and it also brought corruption to our world. We also are great sinners as a result of our parent of our first parents' sin, and we are enmeshed in sin and as a result are guilty before God and separated from him. The greatest problem of every human being is not lack of education. It's sin. It's sin. The greatest need of every human being is to be reconciled to God. The greatest need of every human being is to be reconciled to God. So this final point about sin is this. There is a remedy for sin. There is a remedy for sin. All is not lost. Let's just think about the trees in Genesis for a minute. Let's just think about the trees. God created the trees on the third day. On the sixth day, he gave the trees to uh, the man and the woman and the animals for food. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden where there were many abundant fruit trees. And he had given all the trees to them to eat except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then it was at the tree, it was at the one tree where Adam and Eve sinned. And they they fell into sin where they were tempted and they fell into sin. And then as a result, at the end of chapter 3, they were cast out of the garden and they were barred from the tree of life. They were barred from the tree of life. In the Old Testament, the trees later became places of false worship where they would go and uh, where some of the Israelites would go and they would worship false gods. And the trees sometimes became the place of the punishment of death. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. But later, another tree would become the place where the gift of life was offered to humanity once again. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. That curse that was pronounced in Deuteronomy fell upon Christ when he was hung on the tree, when he was hung on the cross. Christ died on the tree. He was hung on a tree and cursed by God, but not for his own sins, but for ours. He became our curse that we might be redeemed and saved and delivered from the curse that was rightfully ours because of all of our sins. It was at a tree where the human race was plunged into sin and death, and it was at another tree where deliverance from sin and death was purchased. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You've been healed by his wounds. Because the cross was a tree of death for Christ, it has become a tree of life for you and me. And then look at something else then in verse 6 too. Verse 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she gave it to her husband, and he also took and ate 
Eve, succumbing to temptation, took some of the fruit and she ate it, and her husband did the same, and that was the downfall of the human race. But a few thousand years later, one of their descendants would take, would look at his disciples and he would break bread and he would tell his disciples to take and eat, for this was his body broken for them. The first Adam took and ate and cast our race into sin and death. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, tells us to take and eat of his body that we might be delivered from our sins and be given life. There is a remedy for sin, and it is Jesus Christ. So just a couple conclusions then from our study in Genesis 3. One is that sin, any sin, is a grave offense against God. It's a grave offense against God. So sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, I will write at the top of the sermon, right under the title, my objective. You know, what's, what's the objective of this passage? And there's a couple objectives for this particular passage, I think. One is that we would take sin more seriously, especially that we would take sin in our own lives more seriously. And we would not wake, wink at sin in our own lives, but that we would, by the Spirit, fight against sin and temptation. And the other objective was that we would cling all the more closely to Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has rescued us from our just deserts through the cross of Jesus. But we must repent and follow him and trust him. God is good. Will you, uh, well, let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace for us. And Part of your grace and mercy to us is telling us how bad sin is so that we will recognize the importance of clinging to Jesus Christ. For you have, in your grace and mercy and your love for us, provided a solution for us. You have provided salvation for us in Jesus Christ. But we're not inclined to take the medicine unless we know that we're ill. And so, Father, I pray, I thank you for the x-ray that the scriptures are in revealing our sin to us. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room would put their faith in Christ, would be walking with you. We praise you for the gift of salvation, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.